Good morning. Thank you all for being here today and welcome Reverend Lian Shut. Thank you so much for traveling so far and joining us and offering your teaching. Um, Reverend Lian is a dear friend and Dharma sibling um, and also the founder of the Access to Zen or A to Z, as well as the author of a, a new book, Home is Here. Um, and we are very appreciative that you have come all this way to share your Dharma with us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, sir. Uh, I want to thank Sarah for the invitation to be here today, and also Charlie, of course, and um, to um, Brooklyn Zen Center, you all for being here. I also want to thank, of course, my um, root teacher, my home Ji, um, Zenke Blanche Hartman, and my current teachers, um, Shosan Vicky Austin and uh, Gail Fronsta. Without them, what I say wrong is even wronger, right? Uh, all right. So I'd like to start actually by um, <clears throat> everyone just saying hi to each other. So just feel free and uh, say hi to each other. I'll even You can even get up if you'd like. All right. So yes, uh, I have a book out. Home is here, practicing um, anti-racism with Engage A Full Path. And um, I've had many uh, beginnings to this talk for various reasons, including at 2.53 in the morning. So just you're aware. Um, and let's see what else comes out. Um, <clears throat> this book actually arose not as a book, but um, as a response to um, <clears throat> the book itself or the manuscript was really in response to um, some students um, in early 2020, Asian American students in particular, um, asking for support around that um, Asian violence at the time. And um, so then I was formulating or reformulating, reframing the Four Noble Truths uh, to be what I call the engaged Four Noble Truths. And that actually started even earlier in 2017 when I was a, at a Generation X teachers conference. And that was soon after yet another arising of um, sexual misconduct in um, a lot of convert Buddhists, or actually in, in North American Buddhist centers. And so um, we had the conference and so they brought in right use of power. Do people know that? Formulation, oh, really useful one, um, by Cedar Barstow um, to be the reconciliation model for us all to practice. And I, I loved it. Cedar Barstow is a social worker, so I'm a social worker also. So yay, it was great. Um, and I loved it. And it actually, a little bit of it is in the book. Um, I wish more of it, actually. Um, and um, it got me thinking, you know, I went to a lot of trainings in my years um, of practice and even before and obviously as a social worker, but more particularly in the Dharma realm. And 
models were always being brought in. Um, and so I thought, well, something in Buddhism must be, you know, there. So uh, with the support of the Hamera Foundation, I've been formulating these. And so um, the engaged Four Noble Truths um, begin uh, as a restoration model. So it begins with that there is harm and harming already. Already, I just added. Um, so it starts with that because to have any restoration, we have to agree that there's an issue that needs restoration. And in particular, in this model, it premises that when one brings forth an issue, it is actually a positive thing. Usually, also having an activist background, um, you know, people who bring up problems are themselves become problems. And so um, this really want to start out by saying that it's an acknowledgement that values we hold together or that we espouse um, are broken or torn, right? And so it starts with that, right? Um, and so we turn towards suffering or we turn towards what is, right? So with that, I'm gonna read from here. This is a uh, chapter one. The engaged four noble truths. Oh, actually, before I start, is there a clock somewhere or if it's on here, I can barely see it. Thank you very much. Yeah, now I can see that. It's big, good. All right, the engaged four noble truths. We are complete and whole. The ring of a bell signaled, it was my turn for Dokusan. An interview to discuss my practice with a Soto Zen master at this 500 year old training monastery in Japan. I picked up a small mallet and struck the cast iron bell in front of me. One time, letting it ring. Then a second time. I rose and hurried down a long hall of tatami mats, the woven straw flooring in traditional Japanese living spaces, passing through the ihaido, a narrow room lined on both sides with rows of individual altars for deceased sangha or community members. They silently witnessed the swish of my cloth as my long black priest robe rubbed back and forth around my ankles and with each quick step. At the end of the hall, three steps rose up. I stopped at the bottom and performed a short gasho, bowing with palms touching and elbows out. Then in one swift motion, I grabbed the end of my zagu or priest's bowing cloth, laid it down on the tatami and folded it into a square. I dropped down and started my full prostrations as quickly as possible. Body crouched in a child's pose, both hands outstretched and palms placed up on the floor. Then with symmetrical precision, hands raised past the ears and down again before rising to stand. I did this three times quickly as is the custom after which I refolded and slid the zagu back over my left wrist. One more quick gusho, and then I headed up those three stairs to my dokusan with Saka Harada Roshi, the abbot of Ho Shinji Monastery, 
in Obama, Japan. I enter the room ready to ask the central question of my life. I'd come to Japan after leaving the predominantly white convert Soto Zen Buddhist monastery in central California, where I had thought I would spend the rest of my life. When I had asked to be ordained after more than eight years of meditative Buddhist practice, I'd felt a deep calling to live as a Buddhist monastic. But this did not come to be. I left the California monastery after three and a half years there, heartbroken and confused about the racism I had experienced on both a personal and structural level. The persistent white supremacy culture of the monastery made it unsafe and did not support me as a Vietnamese American practitioner. This was true for many other people of color also staying there as well. The experience was a huge shock to my understanding of Buddhism, Buddhist practice, and my sense of place in the world. As I made plans to leave the California monastery and figured out how to practice as a newly ordained priest, I was contract, sorry, contacted by someone who studied under Sakaharada in Japan. They urged me to study with him as he was acknowledged as an enlightened Zen master. I had only practiced Soto Zen in predominantly white convert settings in the United States, and I felt drawn to the practice in Japan, the birthplace of this sect of Buddhism. I had been at Hoshinji for three weeks, trying to process my despair from having to leave California due to the racism. There was another American at the monastery, a white woman. Instead of being someone I could connect with, she had harassed me, saying things like, you're good for nothing, you're trash. Actually, when I remember more, she even said, you should die. In his whispers, as we moved about the various ceremonies and tasks of the temple, I couldn't get away from her either. We were housed in the same nun's quarter together. We had come to Hoshinji around the same time so we had similar seniority and we were the same height. So we were often paired together for ceremonies. Her hateful whispers seemed to follow me all over the temple. The racism I had experienced in California had followed me all the way to Japan. Entering the room for Dokusan with Sake Harada Roshi, I barely sat down before blurting out the quintessential question of my existence up to that moment. Why does hatred seem to follow me wherever I go? I asked. Sakeharada didn't hesitate. No hatred completely, that's K-N-O-W. No hatred completely, he answered. Then he grabbed the handbell to his right and rang it vigorously, signaling the end of my interview. <laughs> I scrambled out of the room, doing the prostrations and bows in reverse order. My mind raced to make meaning of what had just happened. Nothing came. My mind had stopped. So 
I also um, use a small table for me. Um, and then another analogy here that I want to bring up before I say some more here. Okay. In the Avatamsaka Sutra, the net of Indra is depicted as a system of strand crisscrossing each other to form a net. Do you guys know it? Okay. And um, you also probably have heard that in the nose or where the strings cross, there's jewels. Yes, that's how you've heard of it. And the jewels, because of their nature, are reflective. So it reflects other jewels. Okay. Is that what you heard? Have you heard anything else about it? No. Mm -hmm. And it's a analogy of how we're interconnected, right? I reflect you, we reflect me. We're always playing off each other. So this depiction of the net of Indra is beautiful. However, I would like to bring in another way to view it. Rather than focusing so much on the jewels, our focus can be more on the net itself. Imagine that we're all jewels in this big net. Due to privilege, the jewel with the most resources swell up bigger and bigger, becoming heavier and heavier, stretching the strands of the net that holds us all together. Then when the heavy swollen jewel causes enough strain, there might be a tear in the net, causing other jewels to fall. Or perhaps as the jewel swells up bigger and bigger, it takes up more and more space, pushing out the other jewels or covering up their ability to shine. When we focus only on the jewels, when we think the jewels are more important than the integrity of the net, then the wholeness of the net suffers. Often when discussion on race, race relation, or racial justice occur in predominantly white convert Buddhist circles, people of color are often told to let go of our sense of separation or get on the bandwagon of oneness that's supposed to be what Buddhism teachings are about. I want to propose this instead. Our practice is in that we should all be the same size jewels. Rather, our practice is to see and be stewards of the whole net. To see and attend to the whole net, we can ask ourselves, how are the strands made up? What are the conditions that lead to some jewels being overly heavy by taking up too many resources? Where have we allowed the net to fray or be torn, causing gaps? How have we been historically conditioned to not take care of that part of the net and thus not nourish the jewels in that section of our world? The net is the wholeness or the oneness, you could say, that we're trying to maintain or create. Now, I'd like you to close your eyes, which might be hard for Zen people, but go ahead, close your eyes, please. 
and reflect back on when I asked you to say hi to people. What did you notice? As reflection, mirroring, validation, something else, something about similarity, resonance. How does that feel in your body, in your heart, in your thought qualities? Now, what do you notice that's not about just you? Still the memory back. What do you notice now? Remembering back, we are remembering back, it's true. What do you remember about the way you or others around you connected? Was there presence? Was there awareness? Was there love? The wish to connect? Or were you thinking about something else? Or had an opinion? It doesn't make it wrong or right, I'm just asking. And when you reflect back, and how does that feel in your body? in your heart or emotions or in your mind or thought qualities. All right, open your eyes when you're ready. So I made up that exercise as a way to give us a sense of Indra's net or the net of Indra, right? We're always in a net. So one was the way that we connected, right? You're a node, you're a node, I'm a node, right? And then the connection. And those are conditioned, actually. I mean, the net itself is always there, the connection is always there, but what we do with the connection, which connections do we validate? Do we keep on doing? Do we put our attention on? That's conditioned. Another way to put that is habitual tendency or karma. So one is just that between us, right? And even now, if you look around the room, if you didn't notice before, the net, on one level we can say the net is the connection. And for most of us, what, I'll go ahead, I'm ad-libbing now. What would you say connection is about? Welcome, come on in. What would you say connections about? Someone just yell out a few. You guys have no idea what connections <laughs> I'm sorry? Security. Curiosity? Security. Security. Did you say security? Mm -hmm. uh, security. I'll go with that one first. But you liked curiosity, so that was mine. I'll give it to you too. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. Witnessing, uh, by the way, I'm hard of hearing, so please speak loudly. That might be other, any other access needs we should find out, actually. Okay, I heard something over here. Yes. Fear. Fear, okay. Anyone else? And if you don't usually move forward, I'll invite you to. By that I mean speak. Presence. Presence, okay. Please define presence. I'm um, being 
present in oneself and with the person that you're. Please um, say I. Feeling, okay. I feel present when I'm feeling in my body and um, open to myself and whoever I might be present with. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. Expressed light. Light? Um, expressed delight. Oh, expressed delight. Is that correct? Okay, thank you. No, oh, I might steal that one. All right, anyone else? Yes. Harmony. Harmony. Yes. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yes. And I, I, I noticed my connection was a little harsh. I apologize. Um, and I was a little ticked. All right. Because I'm human. Hmm? Yes. Recognition of discomfort. Recognition of discomfort. Right. Yes. Oh, yes, please. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, meeting alienation and as a result, feeling belonging. All right. So otherness that are present here. In the way our practice is to become more and more conscious of strengths, of different nets that are happening. What other nets are happening now? Hmm? Racial nets. Hmm? I will say that um, I was invited to do service and I was in I'm incredibly tired. Hmm? And um, I was like, no, I don't want to do service too. I'm going to open the zendo. I'm going to give the talk. You know, I got too much already. And uh, so thank you, Sarah, for the invitation. And then on the way here, I said to her, uh, at 2.53 in the morning, um, I thought, uh, I should do service. I should represent. How many people of color, Asians, have you seen do service here? You know, you, you have a pretty diverse sangha, so maybe that's more than other places. And then if you look on the lineage chart here, how many possibilities of seeing someone like me doing service? And then I, you know, here's the thing, right? There's also the, the I'll just call it the lin net, right? Of the thinking, our thinking is like a net. Because then we make connections, we make associations, we, de we decide which thoughts or emotions or sensations we're going to pay attention to. And those are conditioned also. And so the, in the Lynette, I thought, ah, I should represent. Then the other Lynette, right? Another jewel, maybe, or another part of the net thought, I am strained here. I am strained here. Please, do you have to represent all the time? And in fact, thinking that I have to represent made me more fucking tired. Just so tired. And on a certain level, I have to say this book, right? While great in many ways, I am just so tired. In a way, I'm glad that what I'm talking about in the book and what we're talking about right now is being aired in this kind of setting, without a doubt. And yet at the same time, I've been fucking talking about this since 2002 like, in this kind of setting. Right? Well, actually, 2003, 
because to go to the monastery, I was in discussion with a mentor at the time who was a person of color, and we agreed that I would not talk about race or bring it up for a whole year because it was just so turbulent and we knew the condition I was going into. And so I only talked with her by phone in those days, right, and in practice discussions. Then I settled in and I felt connection. So then, you know, another thing started. That's another story. Anyway, so the point is there are all sorts of nets happening. Another net is, so, you know, in the beginning, when I asked you all to say hi to each other, how often is that done here? Never. Never. Oh, this is the first time you've experienced it. Okay. Well, great. I learned it from, well, I learned it as called fellowship from my friend Shahar Godfrey, who I met many years ago when I first moved to San Francisco and was part of the Buddhists of Color, one of the first people of color group um, in 1998. And um, Shahar Godfrey, um, you know, at, at East Bay Meditation Center, different groups have different way of doing things. And in the alphabet or the queer group, um, to come and teach there, two teachers already there will mentor you. Like they would do a talk with you so that to support you, to introduce you to the Sangha. And then, and then you can teach on your own, right? And it wasn't that for, it wasn't so much about whether you could or not. It was just really like in friendship, right? And Shahar Ghafri was first, my first one. And I, I knew her, and this was like 2011 at this point. So way from uh, 1998, right? So she said, oh, you got to do fellowship. And she had a Christian background, right? And so um, this is, you know, one way this, I made up your fellowship today, right? Um, so we have different ways of doing it. Now, even language has net fellowship. Can you think of a different or non-gendered? Maybe some of you think, oh, fellow is non-gender. I myself think of fellow as a guy or male identify or more particularly a patriarchal male I, you know, that's my, that's my association, right? So for me, it's already a certain sense of the net as having incompleteness. Now, the nature of life is there is incompleteness. There's suffering, right? And our practice, you know, the third noble truth is that the possibility of suffering can end, right? Or the end of suffering technically. But I like to say the possibility because the end of suffering just sounds too big, right? Now in the engaged version, we like to say, where's the agency in the midst of hurt and harm? The second is similar to the original, which is their causes or their origins as a really original. And then there's the engages where there are causes and conditions that hurt and harm happens, right? And we focus much more on the conditioned part, in particular, the systemic condition. So on one level, this is what I'm talking to you about, systemic conditions. There are individuals in systems without a doubt. And yet, 
if we just focus on individualism, right, then we miss out on a lot of life. Hmm? Now, so how do we turn towards hurt and harm? How do we know hatred completely? I'm taking a deep breath because I'm going to say something that it hurts me to say. And yet the other thing at 2.53 in the morning I thought of is that one, I have lots of trust and faith in Sarah and Charlie. By the way, so um, after the Asian American students for the most part asked me for support, I started a course called Lotus Rising from the Mud, right? To help with that. Then George Floyd happened. And so um, Sarah and I were in discussion about, may I say, Sarah, the the W word. Um, I was searching for Sarah because I wanted to refer to a social worker who was interviewing Zen priests. And for some reason, your picture at Stone Creek only had you in a black robe. And this is when we didn't know each other that well, you know, many years after we were together at Tassahara. I'm like, I know she has a brown robe. So I was searching, right? And so there was a talk and Sarah was going, we, we, we. And so I called her and I said, well, actually, to be perfectly honest, I was mad as hell first, right? Just to be really honest. I was like, which we is she talking to? Who we is she talking about, right? I hope I was a little more gentle by the time I got to calling you, Sarah, right? And I said, we, what, who we? You have to define the we. You have to define which we you're talking about. So, we turn, yes, this is a we as in practitioners now. We turn towards suffering. Those of us who are holding Buddhism as our values. By the way, how many, here's another net. How many people here call themselves a Buddhist? Okay. How many of you just practice? Okay. How many of you don't know what you call yourself here? Okay. And how many are okay with that? Okay. And how many of you are okay with uh, calling yourself your Buddhist? How many of you are like, I'm a Buddhist, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a Buddhist, by the way. Um, <laughs> I don't have a choice. It's uh, stated here. I, I pass other ways, but right now, I, to me, I don't have a choice, by the way. Others may think I have a choice. Um, so oh, here's the layer that I... Take a big deep sigh. And so we're also in the net of hatred. That actually really pains me. It hurts me. Right? We are in a net of hatred right now. Not not yes, there's lots of hatred in the world, especially towards transgender people, towards queers and lesbian, towards books that speak the truth. Oh, 2.53 in the morning, I thought, oh yeah, Zen people, the we of Zen people. Oh yeah, how many people think they're Zen people? Okay. In my opinion, this is, by the way, everything I say is always just my opinion, right? Because it comes through this body and all my experiences and it's filtered through me. I, I can't escape that. That's a net that I cannot escape even though at times I can choose how that comes out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes not very skillfully, 
What is your name, by the way? Yes. Jeff. Jeff. I apologize again, Jeff. And we're in the net of hatred right here because there's a lot of sense that how many people know the lineage of this, right? Of this set. And Suzuki Roshi, right, is a founder of this. And how many people know why he came? Right? Okay. Right? He came in response to the Japanese American community in San Francisco, reeling, reeling from being interned or in concentration camps. The only group to be put in concentration. Well, the reservation is a kind of concentration. Prisons are kind of concentration camps, of course, but in that time, in terms of specifically, by the way, Chinese Americans are the only one that the Chinese Exclusion Act was the first one to exclude a specific race of people, right? So we're in the net here of hatred. We can't escape that. We, therefore, we have to know hatred completely. But it's really hard, isn't it? Because it's painful. It's painful to say it hurts. There's harm here. And th therefore, it takes courage. Oh yeah, 2.53 in the morning, the Zen people are truth seekers. Many here are truth seekers, whether you want to call your Zen people or not. And Sarah and Charlie's hand were raised because I knew there was truth seekers. I did warn Sarah a little bit. I said, oh, you see, I, she printed this out for me. Here's my Dharma talk. And I said, oh, I just might go meta on you. You know, and not quite throw this out. And she said, well, it's M-E-T-A or M-E-T-T-A? <laughs> And I said T-A, but I'm hoping with T-T-A as a quality. So obviously, as Jeff may have experienced, maybe I shouldn't assume, Jeff may have experienced that there was not quite the T-T-A in my, where are you going? And yet, I'll just be really transparent. The reason I was ticked is my experience as a Vietnamese American, ethnically, an Asian American, um, politically, as an Asian, racially, as a 1.5 immigrant, as a queer person, as a gender non-conforming person, as a lesbian, as a immigrant, as a female, I'm female identify, but gender non-conforming. My experience is that at times certain people do not pay attention to me. And that hurts. And I feel it as a harm. And so, I myself, I don't know about you, but I myself have tried really hard to really, really understand racism, right? Structurally, you know, I took ethnic studies, South Africans, anti-apartheid, I was there. Mm -hmm. 
art therapy, a social worker dealing with a lot of the impact. I work with chronically homeless seniors, which predominantly are African Americans. There's anti-blackness hatred worldwide. In Buddhism, we don't uplift South Asians. And it came from India, right? I don't do enough of that. So I'm in the system of hatred. I can't escape it. However, what I do have is I have agency in the midst of it to bring awareness and choice, right? And by the way, I don't always have choice. I have choice today because I know Charlie and Sarah and I'm in the teacher seat, right? Sometimes I don't have choice. Sometimes because of safety, right? I'm a little, you know, probably there's, uh, oh, okay, yeah, there's some, now that I bring it up, you know, bravado, right? I'm in the teacher seat, I got power, but there's a little fear for sure. I'm in the net of fear almost always. Every person of color, female identified, immigrant, queer, that I know, we live in the net of fear. How we manage fear is something that we have agency over. And the structures that help us to manage it has to happen. Otherwise, we are oppressed more and more and we withdraw into ourselves. Systems of oppression fragments us internally and externally. It keeps us divided. It keeps us in fear of each other. Some of that fear is real. I'm not denying that in any way. And how much of that though, as a truth speaker, do you want to call forth situations in which there's fear or shame or hurt or harm. Right? To say, hey, hey, I'm in the fucking net. Right? And so part of turning towards hatred is to actually turn and look at how we've been harmed by hatred. And then to attend to it. And for me, here's where the up and down power thing happens. So in the, in the right use of power, simplified, is that in every situation, there is power differential, almost always, right? The moments in which there might be equity, but for the most part, and it can shift at any moment, for instance, right? Yes, I have the teacher seat, but Sarah and Charlie actually my seniors, right? And also they are the head teachers here. So if I do something, they could, I know they won't, but they could, Right? Stand up and say, okay, you said enough. <laughs> right? 
or people could get up and walk out. That was my fear, Jeff, now that I identify it. That was my fear, Jeff. So as people, beings, by the way, I, I count children as being oppressed. So everyone in this room, in my opinion, has been oppressed, right? So when we're in the down power position in which we have less and less privilege because of system locating us, then what we need to do, I think, is to learn to heal ourselves from the impact of hurt and harm, of hatred, of fear. In Buddhism, we practice to be free from, and in terms of oppression, to be free from hatred. I just had a aha about Roshi as I'm talking. What was my question? Why does hatred seem to follow me wherever I go? I fucking know why. Right? And that's why Roshi's like. <laughs> you already know why. Stupid question. In Asia, they'll say, Roshi never called me stupid. But in my experience, in a lot of in Asia, you know, they're very direct, like, <laughs> wrong question. I already know why. We ask that, I ask that. This is why I tell my students, this is my aha, because I already tell my students, come to, you know, I call them practice discussion, you can call them Dokusan maybe, with a question. But don't come with a why question. I don't like why questions. Because for me, so much of why question is that, that knee jerk of like, fuck it, hey, I'm so tired. Why is this happening? And we already know that. What is a question that more helps to inform us of in the moment? What is it that needs to be expressed? What is it that needs attending to? Right? I tell my students when they come into the practice discussion room, Zoom room these days for the most part, system of harm is happening, the net of harm. I say it's an opportunity for two people to meet completely and dokusan or practice discussion. Of course the, you know, I am already lying. By the way, don't forget that everything I say is already wrong, right? Because it's a moment only, and it's through this body and this heart and this mind. And it's wrong in the sense that it can't really describe everything, even though at time I make it sound like it describes everything. So it's an opportunity, and the lie is that it's already happening. Two people are meeting completely. Whether you're willing to have the presence to do that or not is the practice. So essentially, do we want, do I want to, do I want to? 
Do I want to show up completely with each of you? Whoever is in front of me or behind me or inside. Or my ancestors or those after me. Do I want to be present completely with TTA? With kindness, for those who don't know, metta, right? TTA, metta. Kindness, I would say karuna too, with compassion. Okay, I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much. May our intention equally penetrate Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.